a, a picture in your head of who that is. All right, some of the, the greatest people that, you, that you've worked with. I want you to think about why did you love working with them or for them so much? Why, why did you enjoy that so much? If you work for a certain industry, I would guess it wasn't that the work was that much different. In most industries, work is work and skill is skill. And I'm guessing it didn't have much to do with how different the, the, the work environment um, was. I'm guessing it didn't have much to do with their competency. competency. I worked on that all morning. All right, shows low competency. All right, uh, I'm guessing it didn't have much to do with their, their, their you know, specialized skill uh, w- w- would, be my ge- would be my guess uh, with the greatest leaders that, that you've worked with. I would guess if you were to identify what made them so great and what made them such a great boss, I would guess if, if we were to have a conversation about that, it would have to do what made them so great was their character. That would just be my guess, their, their integrity. You would say things like, man, as a boss, they were honest and they were fair. They were kind to their employees. They were others focused, they invested. I would guess when you talk about the greatest leaders and the greatest bosses that you've had, it wasn't their skill, it wasn't their competency, it wasn't any of that. I would guess what made them so memorable was their character. They were good people. They, they were a good boss. They were good to work for. And, and that's the idea of today's sermon as we, as we get started. It is the importance of character in leadership. Let me show you this quote. Integrity is crucial for any leader. With it, leaders avoid confusion and internal conflict. It, is, it allows leaders to follow a balanced path where character and talent work hand in hand. With an aligned moral compass, integrity Uh, can aid in building the strong foundation upon which talent can rest. Overall, character shows that you are, uh, shows that that who you are and who you appear to be are one and the same. So that's from John Maxwell, kind of leadership teacher, and he's communicating to us the importance of character when it comes to leadership, because the opposite's also true. Some of the worst bosses that you've ever had I would guess have to do with a character issue or an integrity issue. And this is the exact case that Paul is going to make in Titus 2. All right. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Titus 2. Um, we talked about this last week that, that Titus was one of the first Greek converts to Christianity. That the Apostle Paul, one of the early church leaders, he took Titus to the island of Crete where they planted a bunch of churches. And uh, Paul ended up leaving, and he left this young leader, Titus, in charge of the churches of Crete. And then he came back and he wrote this letter, Titus, uh, to Titus about how to continue to lead well in his absence. And last week we talked about the importance of selecting elders in the church and how important character is to that process. And this week, Paul's going to expand it to the whole church. He's going to talk about how important integrity is for every person in the church in terms of the way that you lead and the way that you influence. Because everybody's leading someone, everybody's influencing someone, and so integrity and character becomes a really, really important thing. So we're going to start in verse 2. And this is, if this sermon, it appears at the end of it, if it, if it appears it kind of ends abruptly, in a certain way it is, because we're actually just going to continue this conversation next week. I think this is going to take us a couple weeks to work through all this, but look at what he says in verse 2. Teach the older men, all right, and my mama didn't raise no fool, so when he talks about older men and older women in this passage, I'm just going to let you define that. I'm not going to tell you what older means. 
That's for you to decide. I'm not going to tell you what younger means. That's for you to decide, all right? Teach the older men, all right? So if you're older, you can really dial in right here. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith and love and endurance. So to the older men, he says to Titus, all right, you want to teach these older men to be, first of all, temperate to be temperate. It's kind of an interesting word. Basically what it means is you want to teach the older men to be free of vices. That every single one of us has these kind of go-to things. I believe they can be generational. These go-to things that we go to to cope and deal with stress that maybe are not healthy or good for us. A vice can be alcohol. A vice can be television and media. A vice can be smoking. Sex can be a vice. And I think it's easy, like I said, for these vices to become generational. I've talked to you about it before, but one of my vices in times of stress is eating. And that's been a generational thing. I'm not blaming my mama or my dada, all right? I'm not blaming anybody because everybody does the best that they can. But that's a generational thing in my family that how many, how often when my family's having a stressful day that I say, you know what we should do? We should get ice cream. Ice cream's gonna solve this problem, right? And how often I say that. And my son, who's not food motivated at all, he turns it down most often because he's just not food motivated. And it, it just makes it even more obvious to me when I, when I have that kind of issue. It's like, ah, I don't think we need ice cream right now. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Of course we do, right? Um, so Paul says to Titus, teach the older men to be free of vices. I, I think one of the best ways to do this, this is not what this sermon is about, is confession, Uh, confession and ultimately accountability to the person you confess to. You know, uh, James wrote uh, in the Bible, confess your sins to one another, not so that you'll be forgiven. Jesus forgives you. Confess your sins to one another so that you'll be healed, so so that you can overcome your vices. So he says, teach them to be free of vices. Paul goes on to say, teach them to be worthy of respect. Now, this is another super interesting thing Paul says to the older guys, because Paul was addressing a high honor culture where respect wasn't earned, it was just given. That in this day and age, respect was just given to the elderly in the family. And Paul is not trying to deconstruct that at all. He's actually articulating a core value of leadership that we've already discussed in this series, that leadership is best when it's relational, not positional. So what he's saying to them is, listen, you don't want your grandkids and you don't want your kids to just respect you because you're their parent or their grandparent. You do want them to respect you for that reason, but you don't just want them to respect you for that reason. You want them, you want your kids and your grandkids to respect you, and I I think we all feel this in in our soul, because you're worthy of it. Because of the way you've lived your life, because of the decisions that you've made, because of your internal sense of integrity and character. So Paul is encouraging these older guys, hey, don't fall into respect me because I have this position. Although I think positional respect is real and, and, it, and people should respect uh, positionally. Paul's saying, don't fall into respect me because of this position. You live a life that is worthy of respect. Let me put this on the screen for you. You don't just want assumed respect. None of us does. You don't want assumed respect. You want earned respect. You want to live a life that is worthy of respect. So he says, teach these older guys to live a life worthy of respect, which in a high honor culture was really countercultural. He says, teach them to be self-controlled. The word literally means to restrict your freedom. That I don't teach them to not say everything they want to say. 
Teach them to not do everything they want to do. Teach them to not demand everything that they want to demand for the sake of others. Be others-focused. Be self-controlled and be sound in faith and in love and endurance. He closes by saying to Titus, hey, teach these older guys. I want you to be an example of faith. I want you to be an example of endurance. I want you to be an example of love. I want you to be an example. And so Paul makes character and integrity of older men of utmost importance. And the question is why? Why? Because in a high honor culture, Paul did not need to do this. Paul did not need to say this. Um, Older men especially just had a position. They had a really important position in the family, in the church, and in life. And so Paul is making their internal character and their internal integrity of utmost importance. Why? Paul tells us in verse six, I believe, He says, similarly, worked on that one all morning too, right? Encourage the young men, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. So Paul knows he's, in a few short verses, he's going to move on to these younger guys to say, hey, teach the young guys that they need to be self-controlled, not to do everything they want to do and to say everything they want to say. And what Paul knows is that as a result of the way he's laid this text out, these younger men are now going to have an example with the older men, that these older guys are going to work on self-control. These older guys are going to work on living a life of character and integrity. And by the time Paul gets to the young, by the time Titus gets to the younger guys, hey, teach them to be self-controlled. There's going to be a whole group of older men that stand as a living example for these young guys on what a life of self-control looks like. This is why he starts with the character of the older men. Because if you're going to influence the younger guys to be self-controlled, you need these examples of what a self-controlled, looks like, self-controlled life looks like over time. So I think Paul is demonstrating, and I'm going to show you this even uh, when we get to um, older and younger women, uh, this will be seen even more profoundly, but I think Paul is trying to teach us something here. It is the importance of generational leadership and influence in the church and how important character is to that influence. Paul's trying to teach us the generational influence that is true in every church. If you're an older man, you are influencing. I promise you, you are. You're influencing your family. You're influencing your church. You're influencing the people around you. Paul is trying to add in a piece here of how important character is when it comes to that influence. And a lot of older uh, men that I know Uh, They have a hard time buying into this, and I'll tell you why. A lot of older men that I know think that the younger generation just wants to kind of set them aside and put them in retirement and kind of be done with them. And if you're an older man, you can define that however you want to define that. Look at me for a minute. I can tell who thinks they're older by those that are looking, all right? You just need to know the research does not back that up at all. The research, the generational research, we talked about this in generations, does not back up that assumption. As a matter of fact, we know that the millennial generation deeply respects older men and women, and they want to be like them. And so this element of influence, it is so existent, uh, and it is so present in our culture. And, and, And if you're an older guy, you are influencing the people around you. Paul says, man, Let's think about character a little bit and make sure we're influencing in the right way, that we're, we're setting the example well, that we are full of integrity. And Paul's going to show, make this point even more clear with older women, all right? So he says, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, 
not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then, and here's how he, he makes this point even more clear than he did with the men. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. So what Paul says to the older women, and like I said, mama didn't raise no fool. I'm not even getting into who this is, right? Um, What he says to older women is not that different than what he says to older men. He says to the older women, he says to Titus to teach the older women to be reverent. This carries with it the idea of teach the older women to live lives that are holy. And then he gives examples. He says, teach them to not be slanderers. All right, a slander is someone who says something about others that is not true. All right, so he says, teach them not to be slanders. You know uh, what the Greek word here is for slander? It's diabolos. You may recognize a part of that Greek word, uh, diablo. All right, devil. All right, and what, he, what he's saying is that this is, he's not saying that older women are the devil. All right, so don't, let, let's get that out of our head, all right? What he's saying is, is that this was a characteristic from the very beginning. This was a characteristic that was in the devil. Way back in the garden, we know that um, God created man and woman and they were in the garden and the serpent showed up and he began to say things to Adam and Eve that were not true about God. He began to slander God's name way back in, in the garden. And this became accuser, uh, slanderer, became kind of a characteristic that was associated uh, with the devil. So Paul is saying to the older woman, all he's saying is, just don't be like that. Right? Don't say things in gossip or slander that are not true. Don't accuse in that way. He tells them to not be drunk on much wine. Just like he said to the men, don't to be temperate. Um, this is not something we talk about a ton, but if there are, are people in your life that are telling you that you drink too much, you do. You, you do. Um, and it just got super awkward in here, so we're moving on, all right? Um, then he commands them to teach what is good. Uh, it stands in direct contrast to, to the principle of slander, that, that we're saying things that are good, we're saying things that are true. It says, teach the older women to be this right way, to teach what is right and good and, and holy. He's teaching the older women to live high character lives, and then he specifically teaches the older women, uh, just like he alludes to with the older men, that they would then invest in the younger women, and they would teach them uh, to live this type of life. So what he's teaching in this text, let me put this on the screen for you, It is the leadership and the influence that comes through character. This is so powerful in the life of the church. And it is so powerful in a church like ours. It is the leadership and the influence that comes through character. He's laying this track down where older men and older women are investing in and being an example to the next generation for how to live and how to live obediently to God, how to manage a household, how to be a Jesus follower, and it's powerful. It is the influence that comes from character. So to the olders, I want to say to you, you have a unique opportunity right now especially in your retirement years, but you have a unique opportunity right now to influence the next generation simply through your character, through your honesty, through your integrity, through your holy living. And I think this is so profound because there are so many other ways that people choose to influence. 
right? Some people love to choose to influence the influence through intimidation and anger. And you could do that. If you're an older person, you could, you could do that. As a matter of fact, I think people would even understand, oh, they're a little bit older, they have, have a little bit of a temper maybe. You could influence through intimidation and anger. You could get mad whenever you don't get your way. You could try to influence through guilt. A lot of people do that. You could lay on a, a thick load of guilt to your kids and your grandkids, and you could try to manipulate them with guilt. You can manipulate through threats. A pastor friend of mine was just uh, emailing with me this week, and he had um, a group of people come into his office and say, if you don't do this, then we'll stop giving and we'll leave. You could do that. You you could try to get your way with your kids and your grandkids through, through threats. But here's what I suspect of you, because I know this is true for me as I get older. You don't just want your way. You don't just want your way with your kids and your grandkids. You know what I know about you because I know this about me? You don't just want your way, you want influence. And those are totally different things. They're loosely connected, but they're different things. Because I know this about human nature, that you don't just want to get your way with your kids. You don't just, you could do that through intimidation, threats, and anger, and all that stuff. You don't just want your way. You want to have this unbelievably rare thing called influence. And influence comes as the result of character and investment and time. You will make the biggest difference in the next generation. You will make the biggest difference in the next generation as the result of your character. So I want to encourage you, think about your character I'm pressing in a little bit. Is that okay? All right. I've been here 11 years. I thought it would be okay. All right. So I'm pressing in a little bit. I want you to think about your character because there are lots of ways you can get your way. There are very few ways that you can get influence. But one of the ways you can get influence is through character. So think about what specifically do I want to pass on? Because you can't lead where you've never been. So if there is a gap in what you want to pass on and what you currently possess, here's what I want to say to you. Pray about that. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, go after that area. I want to pass this on, but I don't currently possess it. There's a gap there. i got to work on this area. Tell God you are open and you want change and you want his help and, and begin to talk to God about the gap. But it does leave us with an interesting question. How do I pass on what I do possess? If in some of those areas there is no gap, that man, I possess a good work ethic. I possess honesty. I possess integrity. How do I begin to pass that on? There is only one way that I'm aware of. That's it. There's only one way that I'm aware of. And we are losing this in our culture. It is relationship. It is passed on through relationship and through time. So I would encourage you, build relationships with people that are younger than you. Kids, grandkids, people in the church, take them out to lunch, spend time with them. It is the only way to leverage influence. It's it. You can try a big Facebook post. You can try a mass email. You can try to send a letter. You can do all that stuff. The only way that I know to to pass on that sort of thing is through relationship and through time. So if you're uh, the, the young, if you're a part of that older generation, I want to encourage you, please, 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 we talked about this before, don't just retire and pursue leisure. Please don't just retire and pursue leisure. Please make investing in those that are younger than you of the highest priority because this works. 
This works. You have so much integrity, so many of you that I know, so much integrity and so much character that the next generation needs. And it, it, it's going to take relationship to, to, to achieve it. And I know that's intimidating. And I, I know that there's a, a temptation to say, if the younger people want to learn from me, they know where the phone is. There's a temptation to say that. Please, 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 I want to put that burden on you. You, wanna, you know why I want to put that burden on you? You're older. You're older. And so I want to put the burden on you to pick up the phone and call someone and invest in them. One family member or, or more and somebody that's not a family member. And just take somebody out to lunch and begin to spend time. I promise you they will not turn you down for the most part. They won't turn that down, uh, especially if they're a part of this church, because I've been preaching about this for five years. And if you turn them down, I will track you down. <clears throat> and I will go pastor on your backside, okay? All right, so, no, I'm, I'm kidding, all right? So, let me talk to the youngers. Let me talk to the youngers. Um, Paul says that you have a unique opportunity when you're young. That if you, if you will follow the example of the olders and you will listen to them and you will follow them and you will live a life of integrity and honesty and faith and all that, Paul seems to indicate here that while you're young, you have this unique opportunity to influence the world around you. And I wanna show you how he says this in verse five. This is specifically directed at younger women, but I believe it applies to younger men as well. He says, if you'll follow the example of the older people around you that are full of integrity and character, here's what will ultimately happen. No one will be able to malign the word of God. That when you're young and you live a life of character and you live a life of faith and you live a life committed to God, nobody will be able to say that God's word is not powerful. Nobody will be able to say that God's word doesn't matter. Nobody will be able to say that God's stuff doesn't work. Nobody will be able to say that because in your youthfulness, you have chosen to follow God fully because you have followed the example of the people around you. And let me tell you why this is true. All right, and uh, I actually went over to Scott's office this week. I said, I gotta run this by you because I do not wanna come off the wrong way. So I'm actually a little bit nervous even saying this, but I wanna tell you why your young, holy life, li living a life of holiness as a, as a young person, why it is so important and it is uh, so, so critical. It goes to generational assumption. Generational assumption. That by and large in our culture, we assume that if you're older, you have it together. Right? That is a generational assumption. We all know older folks that don't have it all together. <laughs> right? We all know older folks that haven't made good decisions. But the generational assumption is that if you get to a certain age, and that age is, if you get to a certain age, we assume that you have figured out how to make good decisions. I, I, the first time I ever saw this and started thinking about it was years and years ago when my grandfather became a Christian that my grandfather became a Christian later in life. He was uh, in his 70s when he became a Christian. And when he became a Christian, I observed something that to me was really, really powerful. The people in his neighborhood and the people in his life assumed he already was one. So when he, when he became a Christian, they all assumed that he'd been one for all these years because there's a generational assumption that if you're 70, you figured this out. 
That, that, that if you're 70, you've kind of got your life together. That if you're, you're 70, that, that, that my grandfather would have already made that faith decision. Now, it's obvious, when it's obvious that an older person doesn't have it all together, and they come to Christ, that is indeed powerful. But we're talking about generational assumption here just for a minute. So there is a generational assumption when it comes to young people. Youngers. And this was true way back when Paul was writing this. The generational assumption about young people is that while they're young, they're sowing wild oats. They're engaged in, the Bible refers to this as wild living at one point. But when you see a young person committed to holy living, when you see a young person committed to obedient living and self-controlled living, there is something that is powerful about that in a unique way. And Paul describes it as nobody can say. When they see you doing that at the age of 20, at the age of 30, when you're a young person, nobody can say God's word isn't powerful. Because maybe everybody else around you is sowing their wild oats and is engaged in, in, in that wild living. But when you choose the holy life, there is something uniquely powerful in that way. So students, as you're going back to school, young adults, as you are raising your family, as you're going back to college, here is the greatest piece of advice I can give you. Would you live different lives? Because the greatest testimony you have about God's word, the greatest testimony you have about grace, the greatest testimony you have about Jesus Christ is by living a life that looks different from everyone else. It is a life of holy living. It is a life of righteous love. It is a life that has determined I am gonna follow the olders before me and I'm gonna learn from them and I'm gonna live the, the, this life the way that they live theirs. And it's ultimately a life of joy, hope, and peace. It's a life that is so attractive and you can take it right to your college campus, you can take it to your school, you can take it to play dates with other moms and dads, you can take it to your workplace, you can do this. This passage is all about leadership, and influence. It talks a lot about character, but it's about influence. And it is about this truth. You are influencing someone. I don't care if you're 70 or if you're 20. You are influencing someone. I am influencing someone. Let's make sure we're influencing toward holiness, toward self-control, toward uh, faithful living, that we are influencing toward a life uh, lived for Jesus Christ. And listen, this isn't all play. There, there is no age, and I hope you understand this if, if you're older especially, there is no age where you've kind of like grown past this and you don't need to do this anymore, or that there, there is no age where you no longer have influence. There, there is no age where you're, where you're done and you're put on the sideline. That is what our culture teaches. That is not what the kingdom of God teaches. The kingdom of God teaches that as you get older, that may be your greatest opportunity for influence. As you get older, that may be your greatest opportunity to invest in your kids, to invest in your grandkids, to invest in some of the younger people around the church. That may be your greatest opportunity as you get older. Do not be afraid of it. Embrace it. Because if you're still here, God's not done. You understand that? I don't care what your age is. God is not done with you yet. And there's a whole group of young people sitting in this room that are watching you and, and, and they're admiring you and they want to know how you ended up with the life that you, that you have because you're so full of integrity and you're so full of godliness and they just want to learn from you. So if you're still breathing, God's not done. He's not done with you. And you still have a lot of influence. 
I know this culture tells you you're done. I know this culture tells you to get out of the way. That is not the kingdom of God. God's not done with you. You still have a lot of influence left simply through your character and through your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you uh, for the life that he calls us to. Um, you, you are not done with this room yet, Lord. And man, I, I get so passionate about this because I think Paul teaching Titus w- was really onto it here through your, through your spirit. That there is this power that comes when older people full of integrity invest in, in the younger generation. It's not oppositional. Um, it's influence. And that as we get older, there's such a, a temptation to maybe influence through guilt or to influence through um, uh, uh, threats or to, to influence in any number of unhealthy ways. But those are the ways people get what they want. And we don't want to get what we want. We want to have influence. We want to have influence with our kids. We want to have influence with our grandkids. We want to have influence into this church. We want to have influence in this culture. And the only way to achieve that is through character and ultimately relationship. Help us to do it, Lord. You're calling us to it. You're not done with us yet. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. And we're going to continue the conversation next week because I think as this passage unfolds with Titus, Paul offers us um, what I think is a surprising way of, of, of keeping character front and center. Because you, you, would, you would think that, Paul says that there's a belief system that we need to adopt to keep uh, character front and center in our church and, and to keep that happening again and again and again. And I promise you, because it, it shocked me when I read it. I hadn't read Titus in a while, uh, that, that the doctrine that Paul encourages us toward, uh, to, to keep high, high character and high integrity in, in the kingdom, is, is shocking, and we're going to study it together next week. So let's stand up, and we're going to have a, a, a song of invitation, and I'd love to pray with you. Uh, if you have a, a prayer request or prayer need, you can come forward, and uh, we're going to have a couple prayer counselors up here. If you're interested in just knowing more about Jesus, we'd love to um, get you pointed in the right direction with Jesus and begin to have a conversation with you about who he is and what he does in the life of a believer. Um, and you can always check the box on your card with that too. We'll get in touch with you this week. So you come forward as we sing this song.